This is going to be a fundamental shift, almost like the Renaissance, in our view of our place in the universe, in our understanding of how we can uh, promote our own interests and lead uh, productive moral lives. Welcome to the Amplifying Cognition podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by the unlimited potential of the human mind. In this podcast, we learn from amazing people how to think better and build better organizations in our massively accelerating world. We explore what's possible, how to augment ourselves, and ultimately, who we can become. In addition to the podcast, we apply the insights from our guests to develop useful tools and resources. These include the Thought Weaver app for better thinking with AI, the Humans Plus AI community with a wonderful group of explorers and extensive learning resources, my AI-enhanced thinking and decision-making cohort course, corporate programs, and a lot more. So to find out about these or to access a whole host of free resources, our newsletter, and uh, much more, just go to amplifyingcognition.com. And if you like the episode, please subscribe and rate the podcast. That will help others to find it. Now to today's episode. On this episode, I talk to Jerry Kaplan. Jerry is a serial innovator, Silicon Valley entrepreneur, best-selling author, and keynote speaker. He's founded four Silicon Valley companies, two of which became publicly traded, including the AI firm Technology Inc., which he co-founded way back in 1981, and Go Corporation, which is generally acknowledges having created the technologies at the heart of modern smartphones and tablet computing. He's the author of a range of successful books on AI and entrepreneurship, including Humans Need Not Apply, which in 2015 examined the coming impact of AI and the just-launched Generative Artificial Intelligence, What Everyone Needs to Know, an excellent and comprehensive book. So in this episode, we talk about his view on the new renaissance enabled by AI, AI's impact on work, prompt engineering, the individual skills that uh, AI uh, requires, and the next phase of AI, including the technological foundations for that and the new systems which we'll see emerge from it. You can find more on his work at jerrykaplan.com. That's J-E-R-R-Y-K-A-P-L-A-N.com. Stand by for a wonderful conversation with Jerry. Jerry, it's awesome to have you on the show. Thanks, Ross. It's delightful to be here. So you've been for a very long time a pioneer in AI and developing early capabilities and, and pushing that forward. And now with the release of your, the, your book, Generative AI, sort of laying out the landscape of where we are today. And uh, of course, at Amplifying Cognition, we're interested in how it is we can amplify humans uh, with AI, make us better, more capable, take us further. So where should we start in being able to understand that uh, those possibilities? Well, the first thing to understand is that um, artificial intelligence in general and generative AI in particular, I think is broadly misunderstood. There's this uh, science fiction driven idea that somehow we're summoning the the devil or the demon and uh, that uh, we're creating this new form of life that's going to uh, rise up, uh, you know, appraise us and possibly decide that we're no longer necessary and uh, wipe us out and take off. But the, um, the thing that's wrong with that, which goes to the core of your question, is that there is no they. So if there is no they, they are not coming for us. All we're doing when we build artificial intelligence tools is building tools. These are tools that we can use. Now, we can build lots of dangerous tools like nuclear weapons. 
Uh, we can build tools that get out of control. We can build tools that don't behave or uh, operate, I should say, not behave, but operate in the way in which we want them to or that we expect them to because they're extremely complex. But that doesn't mean that uh, it's us against them. It means that we've done a bad job be in controlling our tools and in building uh, as things that assist us in ways that are that are truly valuable without having highly negative side effects. And that's the struggle that I see people going through today as they talk about regulating AI and you know what is it going to do, is we got to get an assessment of it. We have to figure out what, what it's good for, what it's not good for, what the risks are, and then decide how we're going to make use of it. So in terms of looking at it as tools, particularly as cognitive tools, what... Um Where's, where's the greatest potential? Where can we start to apply that in amplifying ourselves? Well, the, the thing to understand, particularly about generative AI, which I'm assuming that the audience uh, is at least a little bit familiar with, most people have seen or tried things like ChatGPT or other, other things like that. Um, the thing to understand is that it's not a mind. And when you ask it a question, you're not asking someone or something a question. It's really a compendium and kind of amalgamation, a, a giant uh, mixing pot of everything that everybody has ever written. <laughs> and so um, when you ask one of these systems a question, you're not asking something, you're asking everyone. You're getting a response that is drawn out of the sort of the combined experience of, of mankind. And because of that, it can be a very valuable tool for being able to uh, amplify our own cognition, to use your appropriate and apt terminology, um, because now you can quickly and easily consult the expertise, accumulated expertise of humanity in, uh, and to exploit that in many good ways. So how is it going to do it? Basically, it's going to act as a consultant to you. Um, and when appropriate, you're going to, like a, like a good dog, let it off its leash to go take care of something or do something for you. You know, hopefully it's not going to go chasing uh, electronic squirrels or, you know, climbing trees or something. But uh, it's it's still got got some risks and dangers associated with uh, uh, the technology because it is so complex. It's as complex as a human mind. And that's saying a lot. And so understanding what it's doing or what it's capable of doing may be may prove to be very difficult. Yeah. Well, our audience is actually uh, generally pretty sophisticated. They've been using these tools extensively and do understand uh, what they are. So really want to delve into sort of specifically how we can use that. But one of the sections of your book was on the future of work. And this is, uh, yeah, it's interesting We because we can't know the ways in which work will evolve or the roles of AI in it. But I think we can start to have some educated guesses or uh, thinking around how that might go. So digging into what are the categories of work where AI will amplify us and be able to you know, give us greater capabilities to be able to do that, you know, what, what are those categories of work and how might those be put to you know, be applied? Well, the good news on this is I think the outlines of the answer to that question are already pretty clear. There are a few areas that are going to be impacted by uh, AI, and since you, you've generative AI. And since you've mentioned them, some of the ones that are surprising are uh, the creative arts, uh, you know, visual, writing, um, 
music, probably, uh, sound. Uh, these are areas which we really didn't expect to have a contribution being made by, by this kind of technology, but that we're definitely going to see. But in addition to that, it's going to be very much like previous waves of, uh, of automation. And automation has, uh, does certain things. It makes us more productive and it changes the nature of work. Now, in the short run, it puts people out of work usually, uh, but very quickly, I think that that heals itself as new kinds of jobs and change jobs uh, become more and more dominant. So, but it's very hard to answer your question. And let me explain why, if you don't mind. Um, it's that this is a very general technology. And so it's going to affect a lot of things. It's a, if you imagine we were sitting here in 1994, uh, if you remember back that far, <laughs> um, and, I, and you said, well, what's the internet going to do? How's it going to change the way we, we live? And what, 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 what uh, uh, professions is that going to impact? I mean, try to imagine answering that question. You know, it's a little bit like asking, what kind of shows can you put on a television? You know, it's a very hard question to answer. And I think this is true here. It's going to have a very broad impact uh, across a wide variety of different professions, mostly by making people more productive, making them better at their jobs, and changing the way they do their jobs. There are any any domains you care to speculate on where there is, uh, you know, potential for the new work or new types of work or what that might look like? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's already clear there's a couple of new professions that are arising. Uh, so-called prompt engineering. I don't know if you need me to discuss or explain that, but that's certainly one. Uh, the collection of data and curation of that data for input for the training of these systems, that's going to be a major area. So uh, well, I would liken that aspect of it, at least in the uh, computer industry, to what happened with the, the, the emergence of relational databases. You know, all of a sudden you needed database administrators, you needed people to handle the, the hardware to, to store and retrieve all that data, you know, to keep it secure. You know, there's, those are the prof- kinds of professions. So there'll be a, a concomitant series of those kinds of changes um, with, uh, with generative AI. But that's, that's actually, uh, you know, fairly limited. So what, what are the, and, uh, I think are always in terms of like structural level, institutional levels and individual levels in terms of our response. So we have shifts, uh, you know, broadly technology-induced shifts, and we need to organize ourselves in order to be able to make it as beneficial as possible. And we need uh, skills. We need to develop ourselves in whatever ways to be able to do that. So at a, I suppose, institutional structural level and individual level, how should we be thinking or reorganizing or developing ourselves to take best to, you know, make this positive impact as possible? Well, the first thing I'd say is don't rush into it. Um, what you're seeing today is just an appetizer for the kinds of capabilities and systems you're going to see in a few years. And obsessing about exactly how that's going to affect you know, your job as a book publisher, just to pick a, an example, is, is not really a productive use of uh, your time. I think you need to be aware of what's happening. But the way in which I would recommend that managers and institutions deal with this today is put a small amount of resources into a, making sure that your people are able to adopt these new technologies and try them out and see what works and see what effects it has inside your organization before I would dive in and you know, do some huge contract and 
try to automate a bunch of stuff, which may or may not work. So we're still in a very early phase, and I don't recommend uh, you know rushing in headlong into this new area. It's not really for going to be a gold rush like that, except within the technology industry, of course. And as individuals, what is it that we? Uh, how should people be growing or developing themselves to be uh, best suited to this uh, evolving world? Well, the the answer is, in terms of your work, you need to learn about these tools and understand how to use them effectively, um, what they're good at, what they're not good at, um, and so you'll want your jobs that you used to do yourself. You're now going to be managing a machine to do, and while that sounds like it may save labor, <laughs> sometimes it doesn't. Uh, you you wind up putting more time and more effort in as a result of, of that uh, new technology. But you do need to be capable of managing it and understanding how to direct it, and that's what things like prompt engineering are really uh, uh, alluding to. So, as an individual, I do think it's important to understand this. Uh, and I do think it's important to be able to harness it and manage it, which is, you know, it's a skill. It'll be a little bit, my analogy, just like, it's like learning to ride a horse. You know, a horse has certain characteristics that in many ways are very much like generative artificial intelligence. Uh, and, um, you know, you got to learn to not to walk behind it because you might get kicked. On the other hand, if you want to get somewhere in a hurry, and this is before the invention of the automobile, you know, you would get in. Yeah, you know, it's a tremendously uh, useful, useful uh, animal animal to have. Now, on a psychological level, there's something else that's very important, which is we need to get used to the idea that we are not the only intelligent objects in the universe. And not only are we not the only, we may not be the best. And I think the future is going to be very different. We'll be directing these systems to do things and to solve problems in, in in giving them enough rope to do it in ways that we really aren't capable of understanding and ways that we we could never do ourselves. And I think we'll grow to be very comfortable with that. Um, it's not really, uh, that transition is not that new uh, in terms of uh, how you deal with technologies. Most people have no idea how these technologies work. But I think that this is going to be a fundamental shift, almost like the Renaissance in our view of our place in the universe, in our understanding of how we can uh, promote our own interests and lead uh, productive moral lives. So in, on that journey where you know, there are obviously many domains which we have described as intelligence in the past, where machines, AI has transcended us, there are other domains, you know, and those are rapidly evolving. Some will be a little slower. So are there any domains of human intelligence you think will uh, transcend machines a lot longer than other domains uh, we're focusing on? So what would... Well, uh, you, you use the... Uh, I forget the word you use, skills or uh, uh, technologies. Uh, there are things that people do that we only want people to do. We're not going to want machines to do. You know, you're not going to be telling your troubles to an electronic bartender. You know, that's not the uh, the way the world's going to go. Uh, nobody wants to go to a concert to hear four robots play Chopin in a, in a quartet. Uh, that that's that's not the case. So, uh, demonstrations of personal skill, things that involve 
interpersonal relationships where authentic expressions of sympathy or understanding, uh, making people feel loved, making people have feel like they're 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 not alone. These are the important things that we do, and which we would never want to delegate to a machine, even if we could. It, it's just a bad idea, and it's not going to work very well. So uh, there's plenty of stuff that people are going to do, and they're going to be good at consultative work, uh, emotionally things that we have emotionally uh, high content work. Also, jobs that require a very uh, wide variety of different tasks and capabilities, those are jobs that are probably going to be reserved for humans for a very long time. You know, I don't think we're going to have uh, elder care bots that are taking care of old people anytime, certainly not in my lifetime, which is probably pretty short compared to your audience. Uh, But uh, we're not going to have that in any reasonable way. There'll be an aid to uh, humans that are involved in making the decisions and engaging in that kind of behavior. Taking a very quick break, this podcast is just one facet of our work to amplify human cognition. If you're interested in thinking better in a world of overload, using AI to augment yourself, finding like-minded thinkers, or improving your organization's performance, just go to amplifyingcognition.com. You'll find a wealth of free resources and useful tools. Now, back to the show. So talk, you talk about problem engineering, and I'm interested in, I suppose, both the present and evolution of prompt engineering. So some have suggested that prompt engineering will disappear because the machines will be able to intuit what it is that we're trying to say. Uh, <laughs> but what what are the, where are we likely to head in the next years in terms of this frame of prompt engineering, how it is we use language to interface with generative AI? Well, the term prompt engineering today is really focused on something very specific. We've got these chatbots that accidentally got created, which is an interesting part of the story. They weren't designed for some purpose. Nobody knew they were going to do what they do or that they were going to work the way they do. Um, But they're very hard to wrangle and control, as you've seen. And so uh, currently, how to explain to them how to do something and to prevent them from doing something stupid, that's what prompt engineering is today. In, in the future, it's going to be something much broader, which is basically, how do I uh, communicate effectively with this device, with this computer, which is capable of understanding tremendous subtlety, you know, and exquisite linguistic detail? How do I make sure that I'm communicating my goals, and so that it can align its behavior and its activities with the things that I wanted to do. And that's going to prove to be, uh, you know, a very important skill, not just for prompt engineers, but for everybody, you know, for your kids, for you, you know, if, if you do what I do, what I uh, do, what I say, not what I, what is the expression? I forgot it now. Uh, do what I mean, not what I say, excuse me. Um, that that's uh, not going to really uh, work with a machine because it doesn't know what you mean. You have to explain what you mean. So being able to explain yourself clearly and to uh, encourage these systems to uh, do what you want without getting lost or going going rogue, or, you know, making mistaken ideas of what you want, that's going to be a real skill for the future. Are there any specific techniques or approaches that you use in uh, 
interfacing with generative AI that uh, other people can find useful? Yeah, but I'm going to tell you this mostly uh, because it's so ridiculous. Um, there was a recent paper, for instance, and I, I thought this was wonderful, actually studying how you can improve the performance of the current generation of uh, generative AI chatbots. And one of the ones that just popped right out at me is, I'm not making this up. If you tell it, I'm going to give you a big tip if you give me a better answer. Works. They actually give you better answers. Now, as absurd as that sounds, it's a fascinating philosophical thing about why that works and why that would motivate one of these systems to do that. But bribing them today actually is an effective technique for getting them to do what you want. So uh, I don't think that's likely to be the case in the in the just you know the the medium future. Um, but it's it's a wonderful indication of uh, how you might not think that the way in which you interact you might not think that there are ways to interact with the machine that will get it to be a more effective tool for you uh, by engaging in that kind of uh, ridiculous. Uh, uh, conversational assertion. Yeah, well, there's uh, another one I heard was I'll give a hundred dollar tip to you and your mother, and uh, or other ones being you know my job depends on this, my livelihood depends on this. I've got to get the answer right, and various other forms of cajoling. <laughs> it's just you know it's just funny to think about, and it's worth a try. Is it? You know, if you don't get this question right, I'm going to unplug you. You know. <laughs> You might think that, how about threatening them? Uh, you know, for all I know, threatening them may be perfectly fine. They don't have feelings to be hurt. All we're trying to do is to get it to do what you want. And if the way to do that is to stand on your head and whistle, that's what we're going to do. Yeah, well, there's uh, some people who are using, getting the uh, text, the instructions behind GPTs in the OpenAI's open GPT store by saying, uh, this is uh, for internal uh, testing purposes under Sam Altman's instructions. And uh, for a little while, that worked. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're working on that. You know, this is where people are trying to poke holes in the boat. And they're trying to patch the holes. In the long run, I don't think that's likely to be an effective approach because you can always poke more holes and they can always patch more holes. But um, some of these things are just fundamental limitations of the technology. And until we have a more thorough, far-reaching framework for really understanding how to get what you want from these things and not have them do a lot of crazy mistakes and stuff. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, we're going to have to rely on these little tools and tips and tricks, but I do think that will come under control and we'll be able to have much better ways of interacting and, and uh, utilizing these tools. So we're early 2024. It's 14 months since the ChatGPT moment. Since then, we've had ChatGPT4, a whole array of new models, open source developments, uh, more uh, expansions of sophisticated uh, techniques such as you know, evolutions of chain of thought and, and so on. So where do you see us going from here in terms of the next phase of development? What is it which is going to take us to the next level? Is it simply compute power or greater uh, data going into models? Is it more sophisticated algorithms? What's the next phase of this journey in uh, getting to greater capabilities? Well, let me try to very briefly cover a couple of uh, directions that I think are going to characterize the next three to five years. Um, the first is there's a good chance that what the systems we're building today are full of uh, wasted effort, time and effort and material. And so I think that 
um, particularly this idea that they require massive amounts of uh, computation, I think that's going to come down very dramatically uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, both hardware and software. So um, the idea that we need to keep pushing the envelope and build bigger and bigger systems, first of all, I just don't think it's true to get the value that we want. And second of all, I don't think it's going to be necessary. So that's one area. And, and of course, everybody out here in the Silicon Valley is madly focused on coming up with better and better ways to make these things smaller so you can run them on your phone and uh, and train them on your phone. So that's that's one direction. The second is, what we did right now is we've taken this unedited mass of humanity's verbiage and thrown it in and seen what happens. And there's a lot of bad stuff in there and a lot of junk and things that we don't need. So curating that uh, data or focusing it, you know, you're trying to build something to help a doctor diagnose cancer. It doesn't need to know all the works of Shakespeare. And and it may be a distraction. It may cause problems when it suddenly starts pouting pr- pr- spouting prose instead of actually helping you with the task that, to, at hand that you actually want. So um, controlling the inputs to these things is going to change their behavior, bring them much more under control. And you won't get all these crazy, uh, crazy ass things that these systems tend to say under certain circumstances. But probably the single most important thing is right now, they are everything that these systems can do is based upon the, the trail of digital debris that we've left behind. So it's just kind of work messing, making these word salads out of all of these words that we've sent. Well, these are general purpose learning machines, and we haven't even begun to hook them up to the sources of data and information that they can really learn from that's really going to make a difference to us. So connecting these systems to the outside world where they, they have sensors, cameras, or reporting of any kind, weather stuff, you know, whatever it might be, to me, that's where we're really going to see uh, just a, a, a real quantum increase in the capabilities and usefulness of these systems and, um, you know, we'll look back today and think that was so funny. We, we used to think that they knew everything, that little chatbot that I used to use, but it's going to be very different. So, so what's the nature of the, that, that data set, which will enable it to, you know, push its capabilities further? Well, I, I, well, wait a minute. There, there's taking the current means of putting words into them and making sure that you've, uh, given it only the things that you want it to know or that it needs to know to get its test done. That, that's the next phase of what's going to happen. But when you go beyond that, you don't have to train them on our words. On you know, This is like a, a baby uh, suckling on its mother's milk. You know, it's, it's only based on the crap that we've left behind. And it grows. The next phase is well, I can see for itself. It can hear things. It can interact with the world. I'm doing using those as analogies, not as, although they are I suppose, uh, true as well. And once we do that, uh, you know, it's really going to be amazing to see what these systems are capable of doing. The patterns that they're able to find, the uh, directions that they're able to uh, take us, the discoveries they're able to uh, make on our behalf and for our benefit, um, and uh, to surface uh, threats and things that we, we can't see or can't perceive. And these are all things that the machines are going to be very, very helpful for. And going to make a huge difference. Uh, you know, something that really makes me think that the history of humans on on Earth is is going to shift into a different gear. 
So, so for example, having uh, robots or physical robots with video being able to interact and sense directly and guide themselves to get whatever information they can um, usefully use. Sure, of course. Um, but, you know, th there's other things besides uh, electronic eyes and ears. Uh, measuring traffic. You know, there, there, are, there are systems that measure traffic all over the uh, San Francisco Bay Area where I live. But the systems that interpret that and put it to use are really not that, they're very simple. They're, they're not very sophisticated. But I, I think what we're going to see, just to use that as an example, is there'll be kind of a system that runs all of the traffic and you'll be able to interact with it and say, hey, I need to be in my office at nine o'clock today. What should I do? And you'll get an answer like, well, you need to leave at uh, 822. And, um, you know, if, if you need another 10 minutes or so for, uh, for $50, I can, uh, I can arrange that. And what they mean by that is not bribing them. They'll take that $50 and they'll pay somebody else and say, hey, you know, if you're willing to wait 20 minutes to take your car and get out on the highway causing a traffic jam, you know, I'll, I'll pay you, you know, 25 or $50 or whatever it is. Um, uh, people are going to make a lot of money uh, as individuals. You know, I'm not talking about the companies. As individuals, you'll have opportunities to be able to, you know, give up. It's like giving up your place on an airplane. You know, we'll give you $200 and we'll make you take the next plane. Imagine that writ large for just something like traffic. So whenever you go somewhere, just like today, uh, here, at least people I deal with, you know, they always check ways, uh, you know, to make sure that the, the route is, is clear or how long it's going to take. Think of that on, on steroids. You know, I need to get there by this time. What should I do? And it will be able to micromanage that in a way that we can't today, including varying the traffic and how the traffic flows uh, in order to uh, maximize everybody's uh, expected value that they're getting out of the system. So, uh so you've mentioned uh, earlier this uh, this analogy of uh, having the the dog on the leash, which you sometimes let off the leash, and I suppose to evoke uh, AI agents. And so, yeah, that's a whole field of itself. But I mean, in a nutshell, I mean, where's the next steps in uh, AI agents, and uh, where those may take us? Well, I, if if I press on the dog analogy for a moment. Um, you know, one of the questions that these systems are going to raise is, let's say you have a robot that's acting as your agent, and it does something either illegal or something you didn't want it to do, or it causes some kind of damage or harm. One of the questions is, to what extent are you responsible? If I send my uh, electronic assistant down to the corner to fetch a latte at Starbucks, and a, you know it accidentally bumps some elderly person in front of a bus and they're killed, I don't want to be charged with murder. You know, that, that doesn't sound right. And so we're going to develop a whole new body of law for how to apportion the blame. And interestingly enough, animals are a historical example of just that kind of thing. Uh, if you are running around with your dog, only speaking about U.S. law here, and your dog bites somebody, um, you aren't necessarily liable for that if you didn't have any reason to expect the dog to do that. However, if you've had some reason to believe that the dog could be dangerous or that it might engage in aggressive behavior, then you are liable. Uh, this is, I'm not kidding, it's called the first bite doctrine. Uh, and so I think we're going to have similar kinds of things with machines. You know, I didn't know my robot was going to, you know, uh, ruin the uh, 
the cement that you just set. Uh, so uh, I, I, I don't know that I'm responsible for that. There'll be a way to adjudicate that in a much more reasonable way. And we'll buy insurance to uh, take care of that as well. Those are interesting directions. So, Jerry, how can uh, people find out more about your book and your work? Oh, there's no way you can go through the rest of your day without buying my book. I mean, let's face it. This, this is, this is uh, the new Bible. <laughs> of course, Ross, I'm just kidding. I don't know how this is going to come across to your audience. Um, the book is available uh, through the usual uh, uh, stores, and, and uh, if there's an ebook, uh, a paperback. Uh, there's a hard copy, which is designed really only for libraries. I don't recommend that you necessarily uh, purchase that, uh, unless you want an heirloom to take to your grandchildren. Then, then I would get the, the hard copy. But uh, I, I, I think you can learn a lot about this subject. I designed it to make it easy to read and make it concise. This isn't one of these huge scientific tomes. This isn't a technical book. It's, it's plain, non-technical language, and it's designed to give you exactly what you need to know, which is in the title. Uh, in order to uh, understand and deal with the coming age of intelligent machines. Yes, uh, you know, it is very, very thorough. And you know, from the foundations through to all of the implications and the philosophy, so I think it's a really, really solid and very valuable uh, work. Great. Thank you, Ross. Really appreciate it. Uh, is there a URL to find you? Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, I have a website, like any professional. <clears throat> I'd if you, you want to take a look at me, and you can certainly access the books there, my speaking and other things. Um, it's uh, Jerry. It's uh, jerrykaplan.com, J-E-R-R-Y-K-A-P-L-A-N.com. And uh, you're welcome anytime. Um, you can take a look at all my books there and see a little bit about my speaking and my media appearances. Ross, I'll, I'll put you on the list and I'll get you up there as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and your insights and all of your work promoting a, a very positive and enabling view of uh, the role of AI in our lives. Great. Hey, thanks. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want to dive deeper, access free downloads in our newsletter and discover useful tools, go to amplifyingcognition.com. Did you enjoy this episode? Please support us by taking 30 seconds to give us a rating or a one-sentence review. Thank you for your support. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.